I've got a question for you. This one's more rhetorical in nature. Sometimes I do have an all play. This isn't an all play. Uh, I just want you, want you to think about this. Uh, <clears throat> how would you, how would you organize, how would you organize one to two million people? How would you go about organizing one to two million people into not only an organization, not only an organization, but into a nation? This was a task in front of Moses. And, and, and no matter how much we, we you know, have Charlton Heston in our mind when we talk about Moses, no matter how much that, Moses had no idea how to do this either. It's pretty evident through the story of Exodus. And, you know, I, me personally, I mean, I have a hard enough time figuring out how to organize 70 to 90 or so people into a church, let alone one to two million people. But, but it's not just one to two million ordinary people. I mean, these people five minutes ago were slaves. They had been told all of their life, you do this at this time or I will whip you. Literally. Not, you know, not like, you know, not like you with your kid, you know, whooping. No, no, whip, like literal whip. And so, uh, uh, and now, now five minutes later, they're free. Trying to figure out how to navigate a desert. None of them had ever gone on vacation before. They ha didn't have a GPS device or smartphone. They were trying to figure out how to get to Egypt, to the promised land, to what we now know of Israel. And in this, in, in this, in this course... They're supposed to navigate or uh, organize themselves into a nation. I mean, that's a tall task. And we're talking about one to two million people. Sometimes when we, when we visualize the Exodus and, 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 and Moses and, and all this, we, we think, you know, Moses and like 60 people. But no, one to two million. Moses didn't know, but the good thing is, is that God knows. And today we're in, this, we're, we're in this series called Old School. And this is Old School Principle number three. God's strategic wisdom. God's strategic wisdom. The first week we were looking at God's presence, that God was with them through the, through the cloud and, and through the fire at night. He was leading them. Then last week, Phil did a great job of, of telling us and, and showing us how, how God was providing for them. He was taking them into the desert as a, as a learning curve to say, God will provide for me. And then today, we're going to take a look at God's strategic wisdom. But God's wisdom came to Moses in kind of a different way. We're going to take a look at this. It's going to be Exodus 13. We're going to start in verse 13 and uh, 18, starting in verse 13. But the first part of the chapter is actually, they were, the, 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 the people of Israel were camped out at, <clears throat> at the mountain of God. This was the same exact place that, that Moses encountered God through the burning bush. And that's where they were. And I don't know, I don't know if, if, if because they were close, he just sent his wife and, and, and two sons back, back home to, 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 to visit her father or what, but they were close to her father, Jethro. Jethro. You're like, wait a minute, like seriously? Yeah, seriously, Jethro. Yeah. And Jethro brought Moses' wife, his daughter, and his grandsons, back to, back to Moses. And, and, and Moses worked for Jethro after he escaped Egypt as a convicted felon because he murdered somebody. And, and he worked for Jethro and, and, and thought he was going to live the rest of his days in the desert. But then God called him out through the, 
through the burning bush. And, and, and Jethro showed up, and, and him and Moses went in a tent, and they, they, they kicked back, and, and you know, they grabbed a, 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 a cold, cold can, and they opened it up. And, it's Coke, by the way, Coke. I don't know what you people are thinking, you heathens. I'm, it's Coke, P.A., Coke. And Moses started chewing the fat with Jethro about all the things that God had been doing for them. And Moses had described the ten plagues and the Red Sea and, 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 and how he turned uh, bitter water into sweet water and how the manna came down and how all these, all these quail all of a sudden came out of nowhere and, and all of this stuff. And Jethro said, hey, Moses, this is a little bit MOV, my own version, but it's there at the beginning of, 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 of chapter 18. Hey, Moses, I wasn't quite sure about your God, but now I know. And they went off, and they went off, and they worshiped God. They sacrificed God because Moses told of God's presence and God's provision. Jethro got on board with God. Anytime we share, this is a freebie, anytime we share, about God's presence and provision, it's a chance that somebody will come to faith. It's a chance that somebody will come to faith. That through God's presence and provision in our life, it's a chance that somebody will come to faith, just like Jethro. But then apparently the next day was take your father-in-law to work day. And this is where we pick up the story. The next day, Moses took a seat near the people's disputes to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning to evening? Now, Moses sees an opportunity to impress his father-in-law, right? Because none of you guys have ever tried to do that, have you? Moses was like, yeah, this is a chance that, that I get to impress my father-in-law. Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give, him, give them his instructions. I, I lead the people. I am judge over the people. I share and I teach and I tell the people what God wants for their life. Aren't you so proud of me, my father-in-law? This is not good. No crap moment, right, fellas? You've, you've, some of you have probably been there, right? Like, like you're trying to impress the father-in-law. The father-in-law like, not impressed. Maybe it was before he was the father-in-law, right? <laughs> you're like, and he's like, not impressed. You're like, well, there she goes. Nobody ever had experience? Like, no, no? Okay, all right. You guys just all were loved in your household. Okay. It was betrothal. Got it. Got, got it. Perfect. This is not good. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me. Let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing the disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. 
Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure all the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. There's pretty good evidence that Jethro had a sheep farming, maybe empire in that region. First of all, he could take a family vacation away and not worry about his sheep. He's spending time with Moses. But Moses wasn't the only shepherd in, 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 in his empire. And Jethro is utilizing the business wisdom that he, he got and built his sheep farming empire into Moses' leadership issue. God's wisdom is across the board. If you lead in an organization, in a marketplace organization, this will help grow your company. This will help make your company healthier. But listen to what Jethro said. If you use this wisdom, God will bless it. God will bless it. God's wisdom is across the board, no matter if it's marketplace or no matter if it's in church. And Moses that day went from a mom-and-pop shop to the CEO of a couple million people. Because he utilized that wisdom. But you may be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That was great for Moses. I mean, that was one to two million people. What about the New Testament? That's not how the church is supposed to be run. Maybe there are people complaining in the crowd. Well, I won't get to, get to be personally involved with Moses anymore. How do we see this in the New Testament? Jesus shows up. He declares, God is near. He declares God's presence. What does he start doing? He starts doing miracles. God provides, right? Then, what does he do? Hey, you, Simon, I healed your mother-in-law. I know you're still bitter about that, but hey, come follow me. Come follow me. Why don't you bring your brother along too? Hey, John, you and your brother, come follow me. What do you do? He recruited people. He recruited people to train them, to disciple them. Organizational wisdom is this. One, do what only you can do. Jethro told Moses, look, 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 look. You're supposed to lead the people in this. You are supposed to tell people and teach people what God wants. Do what only you can do. But two, recruit and train people. Recruit and train people. Jethro told Moses, hey, look, recruit able people, people of character, people who are passionate for God, who are trustworthy, who won't accept a bribe, and train them. Train them in what God says about life so that when people come to them, they will know the answer. And when they don't know the answer, they'll go up the line, and you will be able to train both the judge you set up and the people on issues that were too hard. 
So Jesus gets 12 guys together and starts training them. And then you see throughout his ministry, then he sent out 72. And then, and then, and then he died and he resurrected. And we know from scripture that he appeared to 500 people after he resurrected. And then the last thing he told those people before he ascended up into heaven was what? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you. I've done, I have trained you. I have recruited you. I have trained you. You were able people. They weren't religious people. They were able. Many of them were businessmen, successful businesses, maybe shady in the case of Matthew, but successful. And he floated up into heaven. Disciples had no idea what to do next, so they went into a room and prayed. Ten days. Prayed. Then the Holy Spirit came down on him. Peter gave the first sermon in the New Testament time period. And then what happened? 3,000 people were baptized in one day. Have you ever thought about the organizational logistics about that? How that would have been difficult to have 3,000 people baptized in one day, but then what do you do with them now? See what Jesus did? Jesus utilized God's strategic wisdom so that the church, when 3,000 people got baptized, the church could handle it. Because 500 people had already been trained up. And one day, the first church of Jerusalem went from 500 to 3,000. Well, 3,500. Went to a mega church like that. So what did they do? They met in the temple. They met in synagogues. They met in people's homes. Those 500 people started training those 3,000. A couple chapters later, we see that 10,000 or 15,000 Men, they stopped counting everybody. Men were part of the church. And there's women and children with that. But then, just like, you know, anytime you get about 15,000 people together, conflict arises. Acts chapter 6. Now, I want you to listen. I want you to listen for the same principles that, that Jethro taught Moses. But as the believers rapidly multiplied... There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, some other guys. Some of them I can pronounce, some of them I can't. Those seven were presented to the apostles, who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted as well. Do you hear those same principles? Do only what you can do. Hey, hey, as apostles, man, this is an issue. 
But if we get away from teaching people what God wants, the church isn't going to thrive. We need people to recruit and to train them to do this. And they did that. And what did it say? The church continued to grow. Luke, the writer of Acts, specifically put that in there to show God's strategic wisdom still works. Church is not a one-man show, even though we, we, we kind of set it up sometimes. In 1,500 years of history, it's kind of difficult to shift that. It's not a one-man show. It's a disciple-making organization. Where people are to give into other people's lives. How? Fill your cup. Empty your cup. Fill your cup. Empty your cup. At the beginning, I said that something was a freebie, but actually, as it turns out, it's not. See, filling your cup is living out daily God's presence and God's provision for your life. That you're always coming to Him with your cup saying, God, fill my cup. But then you take your cup that God has filled and pour that into somebody else's cup. Because when we take God's presence and provision in our life and go fill somebody else's cup with that, we get to see their faith grow. We get to see their faith grow, just like Jethro's faith started and grew because Moses talked about how God was present with them and provided for them. Don't be ashamed of your story of God's presence and God's provision because he wants to use that so that you can fill somebody else's cup, somebody else that's hurting, somebody else that needs to know exactly how God healed your hurt. To take your cup and fill somebody else's cup. Some of you know what it's like to be addicted to something and see God heal you of that. Whether it be drugs or alcohol or porn. To empty that into somebody else's life. Some of you know what it's like to be healed of abuse. And you need to, heal, you need to, you need to empty that into somebody else's cup. You know what it's like to be healed of religion. And you need to empty that into somebody else's cup. Because when we make disciples, when we utilize God's strategic wisdom, the disciple-making possibilities are endless. Are endless. When we lay before God or sit before God and say, fill my cup, and we take that cup and, and dump that into somebody else's life and come back to God and say, fill my cup, and we dump that into somebody else's life, the possibilities are endless. When a church, when a church is asking God, fill my cup, and we take our cup and fill somebody else's cup with that and empty that into their life, the possibilities are endless. Endless. Two specific ways. Small groups, community. 
That's where we, where, where, we, where we, as a community, download the gospel into lives and fill people's lives up. And where you get the chance to also empty your cup into that group. But also teams. Teams are where we take a task and utilize that task to advance the gospel. Small groups and teams. challenge are you willing to make, a, make, make disciples are you willing to make disciples so that more and more hurting people can find healing through the gospel how do I do that start with your prayer work this week God who do you want to use me to make a disciple? Who do you want me to use me to make a disciple? Who is it? Maybe somebody that's a believer? Maybe struggling? Maybe somebody that's not even a believer right now. Who do you want to use me to make a disciple? When a name gets put on your mind, be looking and praying for opportunity. God, how? How? If we utilize God's strategic wisdom, there's no end to the possibilities of seeing people, hurting people, find healing in Christ. Will you be someone that says, I don't know how, but I'm willing. God, use me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you'll use us. Let us see you work in disciple-making, Lord. It's not about showing up at church. It's about filling our cup. It's not about serving or, or, or being on a team even. It's, it's, it's about emptying our cup into somebody else. Move our hearts so that you can move in people. People with barely any faith. People with no faith. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen.